Today we're talking systemic telecommuting and reminding ourselves that work-life balance means having control over both the time and space in your life. That is telekinetic. Ahoy there, I am Mitch, you are here, and Gary Walker is in Edinburgh, where he helps organizations embrace and maintain remote workforces. And given all the lockdowns, I have to imagine he feels a little bit like Scrooge McDuck swimming in a pool of money these days. Oh, I just realized Scrooge McDuck is Scottish too. Does that, I wonder if that makes it a great reference or an insensitive one. Probably both. At any rate. This is perhaps the most obvious episode of Telekinetic, and yet, I guarantee you'll hear some gems given Gary's vast experience. And since so many of us are currently working from confinement, yes, that is what you're doing, not working from home, what you learn here might just help you navigate your future working environment. So please welcome, from across the pond, Gary Walker. Gary, welcome to the show, and thanks for sticking it out with the logistical issues that uh, that we had over the past attempts. Yeah, no problem. It's good to be here. Why don't you give folks a little spiel about uh, what it is that that you do and and what you bring to the world of remote work and virtual work and humane tech and and the embracement of that? Kind of been remote working for fifteen years, on and off, and um, yeah, and during that time. The vast majority of the time has been leading kind of products um, and development teams, especially internal tools that organizations use to sort of facilitate communication, collaboration, well-being, pretty much the kind of in-life employee experience all the way from pre-boarding through to kind of exit and alumni. And then more recently, like the last couple of years, doing a lot more freelance work, sort of supporting companies in terms of building and nurturing remote teams always been focused on the outcome rather than the tool itself. More recently, started to work with Distribute Consulting, so um, Laurel Farrer is the CEO there, and kind of the role of digital director, so kind of get to do lots of different things, as, as you'd imagine in a startup, doing even some well-being and tech sessions, which has been really, really positive sessions. I really enjoy those. So It's interesting because, like, now, I mean, just now, as in probably in the past couple of months, there's been this mild boom of uh, heads of remote work. It's, you know, it went from something that was not even a consideration for most companies to now being enough of a of an yeah. obligation and a lift that they need someone who's specifically working on it. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Like, I think um, it's been a super... Um, obviously a difficult period for most people like as we all know and I won't dwell on that too much but I think like it's been really fascinating to to view as someone who's kind of been experienced in remote working and, and seen the true value of remote working versus probably people's uh, perception of what remote working is just now which isn't really a true yeah I can only imagine it growing and 
and um, in a lot of organisations. So I think the hybrid side brings a lot of challenges. Um, yeah. And, and maybe we'll come to that in a bit more detail. But yeah, if you're fully remote, it's pretty clear. If you're in an office, it's pretty clear. If it's hybrid, you're going to need to work really hard on your culture, a lot more than you probably would anticipate. Yeah, I I do want to touch on that for sure, because I think that's, as we've said before, kind of, um, yeah, it's a bit of a topic du jour that seems to be getting glossed over as as like a purely positive thing. Like, oh, we could all go hybrid. It'll be great. Um, but there's a lot of complication to it. So, yeah, let's touch on that. But the first thing I wanted to go back on there, based on what you were saying, was just this, uh, the realization that folks are starting to have that that distinction they thought was there between remote work, or let's just say virtual work and uh, the office is a, a lot of times just semantics, right? And, th- and that's so much of what you're doing in an office is effectively telecommuting or virtual work where you just happened to go into an office to do it because you are effectively remote to a lot of other people on your team or because so many of the tools that you use are identical tools to what you'd be doing if you were working virtually. So I guess one of my questions to you there is when you walk into an environment, when you're consulting or, uh, or working with corporations, you know, what are some of the signs that tell you like, okay, this is all of this that's happening here does not need to be happening in this, in this physical space. And then I guess kind of a second question is just talking about what, what actually remains as, as a distinction between a physical space and, and the virtual space and, how do you navigate that to your point around things like employee success and well-being and and collaboration, which is its own animal to get into? But yeah, and I think it's like every organization is different and unique, and that's what's great about working in this sort of environment. So when you first sort of go into an organization and we're doing consultancy, we're, what we try and do is just get them to sort of take a step back sometimes, and whether that's through doing a piece of research which we make sometimes we call it virtual health analysis or viability analysis sometimes as well um because you need to see if a company is viable to be able to work remotely um but the health analysis is a really nice way to to draw out and and really highlight what are the primary needs that this company needs to focus on if they are going to transition so and culture is probably the most important part you can always get the right tools and the right infrastructure in place to support virtual work but if you don't have the culture in place, then that's where you're going to fall down. But that goes for whether you're a physical um, office or you're fully remote as well. But we'll look right. at the virtual organization culture, the, the offsite benefits and rewards, the alignment. Like It's really quite comprehensive, but I think it's always a great place to start because it really highlights these are the key areas that you're doing really well in. Here's your key weaknesses. We'll then look at the importance and the complexity of those ones that they aren't scoring so well on and then start to draw them to the surface to say, hey, this is what you need to focus on. This is how we can potentially support you in doing that. So it's it's an enjoyable experience because like you know yourself, it's not like one of these things you can just send that survey out. You're having a lot of conversations, um, which is nice and, and you can draw out some of the things that people might not be able to sort of share if it was just a digital form or something like that that was completely automated. Um right, yeah, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of how we get to that that analysis piece of whether the organization's ready culturally and, and they have the right infrastructure. Um the virtual space and the physical space, like 
And I think for me, like again, culture is key. So once you've got the tools and infrastructure in place, like one of the things we always evaluate from the start is what percentage of time like you facilitate your work through a screen is, is the most obvious one that and you just touched yeah. on that a second ago. So and there'll be kind of like parameters there, but you're kinda of looking for over seventy five percent typically, like people doing their work through a screen and if they tick that box straight away, then you're kind of on the, the path to, you know what, you should have the ability to have more freedom to, to choose where you work from. When it comes to the social side of work, what I've always said with remote work is it's it doesn't have to be diminished, it just has to be more deliberate. And mm-hmm. once you've got the right infrastructure in place, then organically it will start to grow because people become safer. And you need the culture to support that as well, the psychological safety, all the other stereotypical things that people focus on. Um, but I think for me, like the main thing is when you've got this blended hybrid, what's underestimated is how easy it is to be in an office next to, let's take an engineer, for example, and that those two engineers go to lunch and they maybe have a discussion and they decide on an outcome, but they don't share that digitally. Therefore, right. that's, this is when it can really start to fall down and break. And it may feel quite unusual at first to be sat beside someone and write something down digitally, like, that a decision that's been made or a conversation. But that's that mindset piece that's kind of like one of the rules. And um, I've always said to people is if if one person's remote, assume everybody's remote. Um yeah. and that's the best kind of mindset to try and get into. But it's hard. Like like you can imagine a lot of the people who are remote naysayers or a lot of people who who live by ideation at a water cooler, um, they're keen to get back in the office because that's how they have been brought up it's, it's a big right. mindset change for them it's like anything when you're, when you're trying to get into meditation or mindfulness and things like you're trying to change practices that have been ingrained in you for several years decades something on certain occasions so um that's a really interesting point and it's a really really tough like shift to make if you don't have the right people um yeah yeah i was gonna say that's as much as folks who have just started kind of thinking about remote work and, and the shifts and, and um, kind of the come to Jesus moments culturally and everything that, you know, those components are not new at all. Right. I mean, I remember from my earlier days consulting on, you know, implementing CRM tools and things of that nature, anything that's trying to document processes, right. There's always going to be that pushback from folks who are just saying like, uh, you know, I don't want to do it this way or, or they generally seem fine with it on the surface, but, you know, you find out that half of the useful conversations are just happening, you know, in a meeting or at a water cooler, and then they never get written down. And so, you know, you've negated the whole value of, of the thing to everyone else who wasn't there in the moment. And yeah, to your point, assuming that everyone is remote to you is uh, maybe one of the best things that's going to come out of this mass telecommuting experience, because it was always real. And it was just easy to somehow be ignorant of that when everyone had to commute to an office, but there's like, I mean, it's, you know, an order of magnitude, the further you move away from someone, you know, you sit next to someone at at a desk and you could probably never write anything down and work really well together. The moment you move a floor up from them, that becomes, you get, you know, maybe 10% of that interaction. And the moment you move to a different building on the campus or, or a different um, location regionally, those people they may as well be dead to you basically <laughs> unless unless yeah. they're documenting what they're doing and in fact i think there was a i don't remember the study but i think if if i have the numbers right 
there was a study of a of a major employer in the U.S. that basically came out to say that ninety percent of all the communications, I mean, digital or otherwise, ninety percent of the communications were happening between employees who were within five hundred meters of each other. So, just basically, just shows you how much communication deteriorates as the proximity uh, deteriorates yeah. as well. So, absolutely. And I think what's really fascinating for me is like everyone's been kind of forced into breaking those habits. Therefore, I think always the, the toughest thing, and it really resonated with me when you said that a second ago about when people are co located and they're in spaces and they don't probably appreciate what it's like to be remote or be distant. Whereas now, there probably is a much greater appreciation for, right, okay, I, I'm now experiencing from another end, maybe not to the same level, because I think in the past in an office, you may have one or two people remote, say, for instance, there's a meeting of 20 people, and the two people at the remote, they're, they're kind of just left. <laughs> left yeah. to their own devices. It's kind of like one of yeah. those stereotypical adverts. We've got confidence, and it keeps on breaking up, and someone's on mute. But what I like now is everyone's kind of experienced okay, this is what it feels like. And um, they've not taken it to the level of this is what it feels like when people are in an office and I'm dialing remote. That'll be the next stage to get comfortable with that. But I do think there'll be a, a greater appreciation for, like, our, our, is it a record of all the meeting notes here accessible virtually as the project status? Is it, can we track that stuff? Are we not taking photographs of a whiteboard and sending it to someone in the office? Are we doing that differently? Yeah. All of these small things that really impacted remote workers a lot. Well, and you said too that, you know, when you go in and you talk to an employer or certainly leadership in their mind, it's probably making changes to the tools and processes, but it is, it is really a, a deeper conversation. And as I said, kind of like a come to Jesus moment about how you're running your, your office from a cultural perspective, from a well-being perspective, because yeah, so much of that is just not, uh, indoctrinated or institutionalized or you know, however you want to, you know, describe it, processized. Yeah. Um, and just, as, and that's why you get, you know, varying levels of engagement and, and satisfaction and success among employers based on who their, who someone's manager is. Right. But, you know, one of the impacts of building your, your culture around the idea that everyone might be remote is that you have the opportunity to scale you know, actual training and actual guidance and processes uh, and education around how you're going to manage that, the well-being, the productivity, the satisfaction and everything, which is usually just left to chance um, in an office setting. And I know you were, you have talked a lot about humane tech and, and, and if I recall, I think you actually have some, some numbers on the, the benefits of doing that, which is always good to have some, some hard science behind like, hey, be good to people and, and it will benefit you. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, and you're seeing some larger corporations now starting to sort of dip their toe in the ocean a little bit. Like Microsoft are are bringing um, the meditation app Headspace um, to Microsoft Teams at at the end of Mm. March. They're gonna they're gonna build that in and integrate it, where it delivers mindful moments to employees throughout a day. It starts to sort of encourage the to get yourself prepared for work and also disconnect from work and maybe think about meditation and these different types of things and, and that can only be positive. Um so I, I probably anticipate there'll be a lot more of these larger organizations start to to integrate these things. I am I know myself like the last um, one of the first employee experience platforms um, that that was kind of leading and, and 
the guys that were building that out we were super passionate about trying to integrate some of these progressive mindfulness tools meditation tools and shit fitness mm. nutrition into that in life which was which was um, not common that was back in 2016 now we were trying to integrate headspace into that platform back then but there was there was no api it was more of a let's uh let's let's display a window that people have the ability to go and explore yeah. it which isn't great so seeing this stuff starting to come through now is great giving people the insights that they can decide to share with with the leaders of the business or not and um, but giving them the ability to sort of track how they're feeling see a pattern over time give them sort of recommendations i'm really excited about how sort of more progressive technology then starts to support people in the work so like just using proximity and whether it's sensors or whether it's other things even i mean smart watches is a great example at the moment microsoft are talking about delivering headspace mindfulness moments but those are really configured notifications depending on how many you want throughout a day they're not really delivered with any sort of value of when you're feeling a certain way whereas mm. by starting to use whether it's a Apple Watch or something along those lines, you can sort of track like heart rate movement. Like, do you want to start to push reminders that are a bit more meaningful, like these types of things? So, that's quite an exciting space. I'm hoping yeah. those companies go in that type of direction. Yeah, I'm um, working with a, a startup right now that's kind of working on exactly that kind of stuff, and I, it's it's really funny and interesting to think about what that could be. It could it could obviously go go poorly as far as using sensors and all the other uh, smart devices and IOT type things out there to try to you know, understand where your headspace is at, no pun intended, and then do something about it to improve your, improve your, well, that's, I guess that's the question. What is it improving? Does it, does yeah. it improve your performance? Does it improve your focus or does it improve your, your long-term well-being? is the question. And I think yeah. there's, there are plenty of, uh, failed kickstarters out there that um do some of the former like i remember some some set of headphones that's like it has diodes that go on your head and then like tell you to get back to work if you're like not focusing or something like yeah, that. but yeah and the main thing for me is like it's it's not about the technology like it's like what are the problems that you're trying to solve and there's always going to be a solution or a solution yeah. can be created so i think it's more just an evolution of the existing stuff that's out there but making it a little bit more in the moments that matter rather than a like for instance the first time i signed up the headspace it was like how many notifications do you want throughout a day three five ten and i was like yeah that's cool like i can say five and they might come through when i don't need them but could they be delivering moments that matter in terms of hey you've sat and not moved for the last three hours because you've been back to back in virtual meetings like move your ass off the seat and and you know we keep coming back to in this episode and on the show, you know, the idea of convergence and that's a great example there where, you know, what you might think would be isolated experiences and certainly the show's point isolated places that you go to um, like your job and then your therapist could become coordinated efforts, right? Where you, the work that you're doing is leading you to a certain emotional or mental state that, it's whether it's sensors or, or pattern detection or whatever it may be, you know, kind of then triggers what your therapist has put together for you as like a way to cope with stressful situations that occur during work and all of that is happening in, in real time. Um, and you're getting this, you know, and so at that end, you're getting kind of like a, a real time therapy session or, or uh, coping mechanisms and things of that nature. 
for stressful events in your life, like right when you need them. That, that's really powerful. That sort that sort of stuff starts to come together. Like, um, yeah. I mean, if you can sort of unify these types of experiences, data, make it relevant to people, and, and deliver it in a way where it's not too intrusive and it's not impactful in terms of um, distractions and everything else that the world's full of at the moment. Um, then yeah, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, if it happens that way, it'll be exciting. My my guess is it'll be uh it'll be interrupted. Someone will get to it first, and it'll be like Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it'll just be like, <laughs> uh, "Hey, you look like you're you uh you know you're feeling stressed out. Would you like some chicken? It can be yeah. delivered in two minutes." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. If, if people are reading faces, like I'm, I'm one of these guys that when I was in an office, I was always told like, "Hey, cheer up, it might never happen." I'm like, "This is just my face." So like, if I'm gonna get like notifications saying cheer up when I'm actually happy, then. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm totally with that <laughs> yeah i think i suffer from that too i'd probably get a lot of weird notifications about my my current <laughs> state and it's like this is my this is my resting state man i don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah yeah totally i've heard i've heard the, the term in the uk resting bitch face is what i've heard many times <laughs> so i'm like um yeah I, I don't quite appreciate if someone says that but like i get what they're alluding to so yeah yeah oh before we move on that one thing you pointed out, I guess I'm curious to hear, um, you said 75% is, is kind of a good breaking point for understanding that like this definitely could be a virtual environment either when they realize that's their number based on the assessment or, or they just hear that that's kind of the, the break point. What's the kind of feedback you get there? Are people like, well, that's definitely not a number I would ever be anywhere close to, or are they just generally interested to hear that that's feasible? Because I think people just neglect that that's that it's that much virtual work when you're in an office. Yeah, not totally. And and when you break it up, like when you step back and you start to educate them on where do you go to get work done, that kind of enlightens them as well. So like, if you've got something really important to do, and you ask someone where would you go to do that, one of the last places they say is in an office. So. And I think it's bringing that to the forefront of where do you do your best deep focus work? Where where do you do your productive work? So aside from the face-to-face catch-ups that you're having, which could be done virtually or, or even better, move them to a more asynchronous way so it elevates the social side. But that definitely enlightens certain people. But yeah, you get a lot of people that sort of say, well, yeah, I'm nowhere near 75. But then when they start to break it down, the productive work that they're doing, the majority of the work that they're meant to be delivering sort of falls close to that category. Um, and what you can then start to do is like, well, okay, well, does the office, if you're retaining that, become more of a place to sort of cultivate the more social kind of face-to-face stuff that you want to do? How do you want to reevaluate that? Like, I think that's that's interesting for me. So yeah, as part of the checklist, we'll say like, do you or your team spend 75% of the time mediating its work through a screen? Yeah. We'll also sort of couple that with other questions around do they have clarity about the, the work that they're doing? Like, on a weekly, daily basis, to trust is it a trusting environment in terms of they can work on supervised without the whole visibility over productivity that really is is a sort of cancer of offices. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of a fluid, open conversation. You're just trying to enlighten them on some of the things that they maybe haven't considered, and you're seeing this a lot just now. People that haven't worked for a sustained period remotely, they they they're trying to replicate the physical office virtually just now so they're just going through a mapping exercise and mm-hmm. like through through history and through time like especially if you look at things like products and services 
where you do that, you're typically not very successful. So like if you take an example of back in the early 2000s when people were starting to create digital news, I don't know if you remember, but I remember like people were like taking a newspaper and just putting it on an iPad and they were saying, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and they were saying that's digital news. And you're like, that's not digital news. Um, yeah. I think you see that a lot and, and that goes with the office. So a long winded way of getting back that, that mapping, but the mapping isn't sustainable. You're seeing it just now. People are burnt out more over 30% of people since we started the pandemic are more burnt out. People are overworking, therefore it gives that false sense of being being more productive to employers because actually people are overworking because they've never done it this way before. They're juggling lots of feelings and emotions, but there are also a lot of them trying right. to safeguard their job, rightly or wrongly, almost like this, I need to prove myself. Like, So when that mapping stops and people say, okay, how do we do this differently? Let's not have meetings all day. Yeah. There will be a moment when the lighting leaders get to that point. But I do need to caveat that with there's also a lot of the naysayers who will use this period to say, I told you so. It's not, it's not as good as you thought. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I always find it funny because I think the natural knee jerk reaction or I guess rebuttal to any percentage of work that is that can be virtualized, even if you're saying it's 75 percent, is that people will look at the other the 25 percent or whatever it may be and just say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's the obviously the collaboration time. And that's the time that we that's so valuable. But, you know, what, what a lot of them neglect to consider or don't want to consider is that, at least in my mind, the form, the mental model I go with is that it's an interaction, a net interaction. And so there's distraction and there's collaboration. And as you talked about, the interruptions kind of being the cancer of the office, right? It's like, the 25% is not collaboration. The 25% is the amount of time that you are <laughs> with other people interacting. And it could be that 20% of that is distraction that makes work worse. In, in which case your net interaction mm -hmm. time is actually like 15% loss of your work day. So, you know, that's the kind yeah. of thing that needs to be considered before you just, as, anyone just assumes that like the obverse of that equation is, is all good stuff that can only happen in an office and is so magical. It's a great point. And I often refer to it as the illusion of collaboration and, and it kind of came with the birth of open offices. And yeah, there's so much science behind like how it's, it's, it's not through collaboration. And like I point reference to quite a lot of studies. Like there's an author I quite enjoy reading, Adam Grant, and he did a huge study on does collaboration happen in these collaboration and design workshops or What's the what's the constant makeup of introvert extrovert like mm -hmm. the way people process and generate idea ideas and the vast majority of the ideas are generated after a session like outside of a session like very rarely are they done inside like um, and that that just warrants much more of an asynchronous approach and a rethink to what that really means I think I've seen for a long time the open office I think a lot of leaders and managers love to see people busy as they would define it and then yep. they would then say that's that's productivity but it's not it's, it's busyness it's visibility it's not productivity well, i've got to get my studies straight but i i always remember that they exist but i never remember who to credit for them i have to do it in the show notes but i do remember a, a particularly damning study about open offices that um showed that not only did productivity actually plummet but hilariously, interactions also plummeted because everyone was yeah, like yeah. trying to find ways not to talk to each other. I used to say like the virtual version of the red dots busy is when someone had their headset on in an office. 
and they may not even be listening to any music. Yeah. Like I used to do that sometimes. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Don't interrupt me. I'm trying to focus. Yeah. And and like, yeah, the, the Harvard study that I referenced a couple of years ago was like, I think it was the average time to refocus on a deep, deep piece of work is like 21 minutes after an interruption. Yeah, like, something crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's why I always used to ask the question of, especially leaders, like, well, where do you go? If you've got a really important piece of work to do and you don't want to be interrupted, where do you go? And, and they would always say, well, at home or yeah. like somewhere quiet where I could do that. I wouldn't go to an open office and try and do that. So yeah. Somewhere away yeah. from you is where I would go <laughs> to do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Related to the mapping exercises and kind of the early ugly duckling stages of, of virtualizing anything that you were talking about with all those examples in industries is one of the episodes preceding yours here had a few folks who I worked with in uh, online education back in the day. And it was it was very new at the time, and we were working with professors. And um, the recommendation we got from you know a handful of these Ivy League professors was, okay, so for a virtual environment, what I want is I'll be at the podium, and then you put a screen up in front of the desk for every student, so I can look at their faces. <laughs> I was like, what? What? <laughs> They're just trying to replicate what the U.S. voice um, singing show is doing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> or sports so as well. Weird. I mean, yeah. it could be worse. They could have asked for cardboard cutouts of uh, like you're seeing in most <laughs> sports arenas at the moment. So, yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like most people, like most people try and do this stuff themselves and that's great. So I think that's the best way in experimentation and everything. When they're ready for guidance, it's just being open to the fact that they may hear things that they've didn't expect like like for instance a lot of the conversations there are that getting them to have the realization that they are mapping their physical like work practices digitally and they're not considering yeah. a lot of the things that they potentially thought they would have to or even just down to the ergonomics and, and everything else so like um, yeah it's 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 nice because those people like they're seeing the value and that's why they're then wanting to explore it further so yeah assumedly for most folks at least it it widely broadens the opportunity for what can be well-being or work-life balance or anything of that nature you know outside of just the general productivity and, and interaction in the workplace right like it makes the conversation easier doesn't it like yeah there is a conversation to be had now whereas before i think people were very reluctant and nervous because it could have an impact on their career and ambitions it could be perceived that way um, yeah, it may may impact them whether that bias is there or not. It, it was always there, um. So yeah, like it's exciting from that. Like I see a lot of the social groups, um, especially around working dads, working moms, these different types of things. I think it opens up loads of avenues in that space, which is nice. And and then you've got the kind of the freer folk that that can travel a hell of a lot more, and, and that's that's really exciting as well. I think like culturally that will be really good. I think it'll broaden people's minds a lot bring a lot more to the products that are being delivered as well because you're going to have so many people globally looking through products through different sets of eyes different cultural backgrounds like i often used to i don't mean to sort of downplay the the cultural side of an organization that are based in a city and they say they're really diverse and culturally diverse because they've got people of different backgrounds nationalities cultures in their office but the reality is they're in that city and that office whereas if you can bring right people across the globe then that's going to like totally um, change the, the way people view the products that are creating those products yeah. so yeah i'm excited for that as well 
it's just down to whether the employers long term sort of stick to that. But I don't think right. of any choice. I think there's too much of a, a swell. I think there's too many organizations that are on the stream now. And I think if you want to retain talent and and whatnot, you're you're gonna to need to be able to have that, that flexibility and that autonomy as well. So Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you'll just lose your <laughs> lose your best people once. <laughs> yeah. Which certainly some companies do operate that way. <laughs> They're just like, yeah. okay, we'll just we'll just keep the shitty people, and uh, that'll be that. And somehow they they stay around for long enough. Yeah, know. that's the kind of status quo, isn't it? That's a lot. I've stereotypically in a lot of large organizations that happens, doesn't it? And that's why like cultural change in those large organizations is almost impossible. Like people are always surprised when I say that, but if you look at any, I've not seen many large organizations that have truly changed their culture, like transformed their culture without creating a startup sub-brand, building it from scratch with a new infrastructure. Yeah. Well, based on your assessment of open offices, I, I don't imagine you're going to refute my hot take, but I, I will offer it up yeah. anyway <laughs> for, for your perspective. So my hot take here is that uh, managers who demand a physical observation and physical presence of their employees could just be replaced by a, a camera for 1% of the cost. Because the reality is either that that is bullshit and you're doing a bunch of other things as a manager and you aren't actually observing and, and therefore it's a farce on its face. Or it's true that you are doing nothing other than watching your people. <laughs> and, if that's, and if that's the case, we all know that a camera is better at that than you are. So unless you're going to tell me that you are a coach, which is a very different thing, then this whole thing goes out the window. And, and it's not a, like a legitimate argument that I make to corporations uh, or anyone who I might consult with, but it's kind of one of those jabs I take to just say, like, if, if you think this is a thing that needs to happen, then what does your job security look like knowing that there's something out there for a fraction of the cost that is much better at watching people than you are? Mm. So I don't know what I don't know what what take you might have on that. Maybe you have a take on just the idea of using technology to watch people in an office, which which could be interesting. In yeah, itself. and I think like monitoring software is a conversation that happens more and more. Like as you would imagine, I'm dead set against it, but I'm not yeah. dead set against it. In the in relation to I suppose the the point of should it replace managers? I think like for me, coaching is is key. I think leaders are key like almost servant leadership and i know people throw that around mm -hmm. but for me like egotistical people aren't leaders they are managers and i've always kind of felt that a little bit like and whether that's just maybe born out of my own experience or over like uh 25 years of work um the managers or the people that have called themselves managers have always came across as those egotistical people so they sort of see servant as, as something less powerful than than a boss or a manager so like for me, yeah. like be a true leader is just to serve. It's removing that self-interest, that personal glory from your your motivation. So like the single most important thing is you inspire trust. You give clear alignment of what needs to be done, autonomy, and you're kind of there to to really enable your team to work. And and that's that's leadership in my perspective. Like and and that's what organizations need to focus more on. Pure people, like absolutely, because. I think there's the manager layer is is the layer that's really most at threat, and the people are at threat. They they come out swinging, don't they? So they'll be the naysayers for sure because they'll be kind of like, well, what do I do now if I can't watch people work? 
I think trust, clarity, transparency are the core three fundamental principles of remote working. So without those, like without trust, it just doesn't work. Sorry, an exhaustive answer. I just felt like touching on some of those principles and and also no, the type no. of people to bring in, but <laughs> it's just because I've heard so yeah. often that question of I mean, I remember it so many times, like it used to piss me off. It was like, Oh, you've got the remote working team and like how'd you trust them to work from home? And I'm like, I used to just turn around and say, Well, how do you trust him to work in the office? <laughs> so like it's yeah. it's the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, same. No, it's funny. We uh again, kind of the point of this podcast, but that's been one of the keystones of of any of these uh episodes is that someone's saying like I'm being questioned as to how something can be automated or virtualized or whatever the case may be and uh, after struggling very hard to justify myself I realize I just need to respond with how are you justifying the way you're doing this right now <laughs> and the answer is always I don't know and it's like cool great so what are we doing here <laughs> yeah well, you you touched on Ready for Remote there, and I and I want to give you the chance to plug it because I think uh, I've read over it. Well, actually, I've read it over. Did I read the entire thing? That the there's a free download. Is that the yeah, entire yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super super okay, light. Yeah. Like it was written like a good couple of years ago now. So probably I should I should really refresh it and bring up the speed. But um, yeah, I took some time off and just I've been kind of documenting a lot of the stuff and especially in that sort of incumbent culture and building out remote teams. So. Just wanted to bring it to life in a kind of coffee table type something that can be easily digestible in like 45 minutes people can reference back to it if they find it um, useful so yeah after that though i was kind of like well how valuable is this like how do we transition this so very much trying to turn ready for remote into ready for remote.com which in itself at the moment still feels very version one mvp where there's some insights which are pulled in um, and we'll validate in terms of some articles that we think would be beneficial for people to read. There's there's a toolkit which is categorized with digital workspace tools and uh, collaboration tools, well-being tools, event tools, um, which is very much in its first iteration and, and there'll be some exciting stuff coming. Yeah, people can find more info like on the consultant side at, at distributeconsulting.com um, or they can go over to readyforremote.com and we're always keen to, to have a chat with folks. Nice. Yeah, I thank you for coming on to chat. I mean, this obviously this stuff is very timely for a lot of businesses right now. As we both know, it was timely, you know, five years ago, arguably ten years ago as well. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it's still timely. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll still be timely in ten years, I would imagine, especially in all the hybrid ones are trying to unstitch yep. a lot of the stuff that they've done. So but yeah, but yeah, no, I appreciate it. It was a really nice conversation. So well, if the podcast is still around 10 years from now, yeah, I'll have you back <laughs> on so we can commiserate over all the failures of trying to go hybrid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be good. All right. Thanks, Gary. Take care. Thanks again to Gary for his guidance. Thanks to Ben Montgomery for the soundtrack. And thanks to you for listening, subscribing, and rating the podcast. If you've got a hot take or a hot guest, let me know at Telekinetic Show on Twitter or on telekineticshow.com. Until next time, take care.